The History of the Holy Roman Empire, Rome Before Charlemagne, Part 1, Gibbon and the Ostrogoths. Now, when Edward Gibbon wrote his classic, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he found himself in somewhat of a quandary. Historians like to compact history into small, easily manageable segments. The history of Rome, however, extends 2,500 years. Gibbon really wanted to write about ancient Rome, but after writing three volumes in the form it is presently published, he found that he had not only failed to reach the fall of Rome, but that the division of the empire under Charlemagne into two separate bodies complicated matters, especially since one branch of that empire, the Western or Holy Roman Empire, still existed in his day, which of course this work was published in 1776. Gibbon admitted that he had no desire to write a history of the Middle Ages, and he had no love for the Catholic Church, which was so intertwined with the Western Roman Empire. He therefore decided to follow the Eastern emperors through the fall of Constantinople in 1453, with only occasional references to the Western Empire. It is Gibbon, perhaps more than any other, who propagated the erroneous myth that Rome fell in 476 A.D., when a Germanic barbarians sacked the city, something he readily admits is inaccurate. Nevertheless, the events of 476 AD did serve to create a somewhat arbitrary line which permitted historians to divide history into smaller fragments. The additional division of the Roman Empire did not take place until Charlemagne, but it can be traced back to Constantine who moved the capital of the empire from Rome to Constantinople. Rome then became the residence of a Caesar, or a co-emperor who, whose authority lay just beneath that of the emperor of Constantinople. After Charlemagne, however, it was clear that the Holy Roman Empire was a continuation of the Roman Empire, and not just in that it supplanted it, but in that it truly was its offspring and progeny. Indeed, the Holy Roman Empire can easily be said to be far more of the progeny of Rome than the Byzantine Empire in the East. Moreover, its legacy is still felt today. The Byzantine Empire, however, can truly be said to have fallen when the Muslim Turks took over cap and captured and conquered the capital of Constantinople in 1453. Only the Russian and Greek Orthodox who lived throughout Eastern Europe and the Middle East still feel the weight of Byzantium, but all the world feels the burden of the Holy Roman. It is ironic, therefore, that the countless books on the Roman Empire and even the Middle Ages, not a single book currently in print, expressly deals with the complete history of the Holy Roman Empire. An ancient Bible prophecy interpreted by both Jews and Christians long before Charlemagne's birth, or even the birth of the Frankish Empire, states that the last great empire of the world would be divided in two. This empire, universally held to be Rome by the Jews and Christians alike, would one day be crushed by the Messiah Christ, but several things would have to happen first. First it would divide in two, and then it would break into ten pieces. Finally, the Antichrist would put the pieces back together again, but his empire would only last seven years before the Messiah Christ crushes it once and for all. Such a prophecy is mentioned for its echoes in the history of Rome, although the latter prophecy is yet to be seen. The great Roman Empire was indeed divided into two separate halves, and later fell into many more pieces. Historians recognize that these two pieces of Rome are the Eastern and Western Empires, whereas modern historians have dubbed them the, Met the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. They do, however, mislead the public with their terminology for the split between East and West had long been in the making. 
The Roman Empire was divided between the Westerners who held Rome sacred and the Eastern Greeks who resided in Constantinople. It was not, however, until Charlemagne that the two halves parted ways. Therefore, when historians date Byzantium back to Constantine, they are doing so for expediency, not accuracy. Constantine was clearly a Roman emperor and one of the greatest. Likewise, the sack of Rome in 476 AD did nothing to alter Rome except remove a weak and decadent line of Caesars or junior emperors who acted as co-regents to the emperor of Constantinople. In a way, the Italians were relieved to have gotten rid of them. When the emperor Justinian reasserted his authority over Italy a hundred years later, he was hailed as a hero and a savior. The historians themselves often called Justinian the last true Roman emperor, despite his residence in Constantinople. Ever since Justinian's east and west drifted further apart, securing the rise of Charlemagne 200 years later. Before we can fully understand the impact of Charlemagne, what he, how he had on the restoration of the Roman Empire in the West, we must first understand how the empire came to decline, had deteriorated to near disintegration when Charles the Great came to liberate the city and restore its old imperial dignity. But if indeed Charlemagne restored the Roman Empire, then when what happened to the so-called fall of Rome in 476 and in 800 AD when Charlemagne took the crown? So we got to go back a little bit. So we'll start with our Ostrogothic friends. Following the sack of Rome in 476 by Germanic barbarians, the Ostrogothic kingdom would arise in Italy. Although erroneously referred to as a kingdom, the Ostrogothic kingdom is nothing of the sort. Italy was still part of the Roman Empire and under the sovereignty of the Emperor of Constantinople. Nevertheless, the political turmoil of the day, as well as the ever-increasing weakness and inability of Rome to protect itself, caused the emperor and the Italians to come to terms with their Germanic invaders. Odasser, the leader of the revolt, had served in the Roman army many years earlier. He expressly made known that he did not wish the destruction of the Roman Empire, but its protection and acceptance. They did not seek to supplant Rome, but to become part of it. Not more than a week after the sacking and pillaging of Rome, Odosser stood before the Roman Senate with his demands. The Roman Senate proclaimed him patrician, the highest office behind the emperor and now extinct office of Caesar. Sent messengers to the emperor Zeno. Soon Zeno acknowledged Odosser and made him a sort of co-regent. In most every respect, save the title of the office, the co-emperor or Caesar, even as Romulus Augustulus, who had been exiled, had been, Rome had not truly changed. Back in 475 AD, a year earlier, the region of Gaul, mainly the region of modern France as well as part of Germany, had seceded from Rome and a German king named Uric, who had murdered his own brother to assume the throne, created the Toulouse Kingdom. This kingdom would not last, but was the beginning of a long series of conflicts and wars that would lead to the creation of the Frankish Kingdom, later destined to emerge as the Holy Roman Empire. It soon came in the conflict with the West and Odosser, who did not take long to begin acting like a Roman emperor. He sought to reclaim the once precious land of Gaul and expand the empire. However, he had no real loyalty to the true emperor, Zeno. Zeno was consumed with the war against Persia in the East and often neglected the West. But Odosser made the mistake of underestimating Zeno's occupation with the East. While engaged in war with Uruk, Odosser made a dreadful mistake when he attacked a region of the Eastern Empire, hoping it would take it under his protection. He found the Emperor Zeno was unwilling to forgive this trespass. Zeno enlisted the aid of Theodoric, king of the Ostrogoths. 
Under the agreement, Theodoric would secure a home for his people, the Ostrogoths, in Italy as Zeno's subjects, just as the Italians were his subjects. Theodoric took to the field and war ensued. By 493 AD, it was obvious that Odoacer's cause was lost, but he could easily hold out for a much longer time and possibly deplete the army of Theodoric or even hope for some other disaster to force Theodoric's retreat. Theodoric was well aware of this and began negotiations with Odoacer. The same year a compromise was reached. Odoacer agreed to surrender in return for the consulship, an ancient Roman office below that of patrician. A banquet was then held in honor of Theodoric, but Theodoric was not a nobleman. He was a true barbarian. As a barbarian, the agreement is nothing more than a means to an end, and at the end of the banquet, he pulled his sword out and literally cut Odosser in half, laughing about it afterwards. Despite the traitorous and barbaric rise to power, Theodoric's reign was a long one of peace and prosperity. For the first time in over a hundred years, Rome was free from invasions and wars. It was a time of peace, and it was a time when the medieval papacy was beginning to rise. The vacuum created by the apse of the old emperors was filled by the church. The pope himself rose to prominence in many of the duties and honors of the old emperors. Theodoric, as a barbarian heretic who denied the Trinity, did not fill this void, nor did he try. The term Caesaropapism is often used to describe this merger between the duties of the old Caesar and those of the papacy. It was initially a merger taken by necessity rather than conspiracy and went largely unnoticed for hundreds of years. All seemed well in Italy. Rome was finally at peace, but the Romans were a proud people. The people of Italy resented having the German barbarian as a ruler, and particularly a heretical one. The Germans were Arian, a heretical sect that denied the Trinity, but were Christian. For many years, disputes and even open persecution occurred throughout the empire between Trinitarians and Arians. Though Theodoric was tolerant, his religion was still seen as that of a barbarian, and the Romans' distaste for the Ostrogothic patricians would eventually culminate in the reclamation of Italy by the great emperor Justinian, with his great general Belisarius, not long after the death of Theodoric. All right, so we've thrown a little bit of material at you here today. And this, of course, is what it's like at this particular time period, which is why I have the series just beginning on the background of all these various barbarian tribes in which we'll look at all of those differences, particularly between Arianism and Trinitarianism. So we're just filling in some of the gaps as we head to the ultimate creation of the Holy Roman Empire with Charlemagne. Now the sources for this, this is the complete list of what I'm going to be using, religion, and the Holy Roman Empire by Ferguson, Before France and Germany by Gary, The Oxford History of Medieval Europe by Holmes, The Papal Encyclopedia by Bunsen. Now, you could use the Catholic Encyclopedia, but be forewarned, they're not going to have much of the juicy gossip of a bad pope. The Capetian Kings of France, 987 to 1328 by Butler and Adams, French History, Volume 1 by Guizot, Barbarian Invasions by Delbruck, Early Germans by Todd, and The Rise and Fall of the Holy Roman Empire by Criswell. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.